Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on November 15, 2012. The theme for the evening was Dining with Family. Our third storyteller this evening is on a list on my phone. Is another Denver writer. She is uh, the producer, director. I don't even know what you call somebody who runs a blog. She is the head blogger, the blog queen. Yes, thank you. Of Bacon and Other Bad Habits. She also writes for the Donnybrook Writing Academy et al. Um, please give a warm welcome to Leah Charney. So I am not very tall, so. But I will, I'll try to talk into this. Wow, there are a lot of you. All right. So, um, so the summer before I turned 16, I had my second serious boyfriend ever. And I don't know if you remember being 15, almost 16, but I was in love. He was so great. And I'm 5'2", and he was 6'5", and that was really tall. And so it was this very, you know, it was the summer of, like, Oh, my God, and everything was wonderful. And uh, I went on a trip. It was my first trip uh, by myself. You know, I'd done family things. I'd done weekends with friends. But I got on an airplane. I went to Seattle. I saw a friend who had moved away. I was gone for five days. And then I got back, and I talked to my boyfriend, you know, 14 times a day, all five of those days, because I couldn't be away from love. So my parents had agreed to bring this guy with them to the airport. And this is, you know, pre-9-11 when you could actually meet somebody at the gate. Remember those days? So, you know, there's my parents. And, you know, my mom is equally under tall. And my dad is, like, you know, 5'10"-ish. And then there's Keith. And he is 6'5". And I walk off the plane. And I see them. And I start speeding up. You know, it's kind of that slow motion, like I'm running towards, and my mother opens her arms, and I run into the arms of my 18-year-old boyfriend. And he, you know, picks me up and swings me around. And I imagine for my parents that it's this very weird thing where they are seeing their 15, almost 16-year-old daughter with this 18-year-old man boy and they're realizing that I am not quite a girl but not yet a woman and and there's some sort of weird sexual tension and I think that my mother's heart broke right there you know I mean you can picture it right like you all sort of have those moments where you're like shit I'm sort of an adult and I think that's a problem for my parents <laughs> So we get in the car, and we, uh, you know, I'm from the suburbs. How many of you grew up in a suburb sort of area? Yeah? Okay. All right, excellent. So, so as you know, and maybe you city dwellers don't know, but I will enlighten you. In the suburbs, we have all kinds of fancy restaurants, like the Red Lobster. 
or the Outback. And so I got to pick, so I picked the Outback for obvious reasons. I mean, nothing says fancy like faux Australian chain steakhouse, right? (laughs) So we go to the Outback, and I am just convinced that my parents are going to love Keith once they give him a chance, because I love him. And they are just, you know, they really liked my first boyfriend, who was a nice, kind of quiet, nerdy, shy guy. And Keith is a basketball player who is very popular, so everybody likes him. Why wouldn't my parents... And I'm sitting at the dinner table, and I'm talking to Keith, and that's going really well. And my brother, who is 12, really wants to impress this guy. And so he is trying to engage, which is just sort of annoying, as little brothers can be. And I talk to my mom, and my mom will talk to me, but she won't talk to my dad, and she won't talk to my brother, and she won't talk to my boyfriend. So then I try to talk to my dad, who will talk to me, but not my mom or my brother or my boyfriend. And so it was like being the only extrovert in a room full of shy people. Only my parents are a lot like me. They've never met strangers. So I was, you know, trying to cultivate the art of small talk and like, oh, you know, we were talking about that movie or you like this kind of music. Weren't we just listening to that on the radio the other day? You know, it's like trying really hard to string together conversations and no one was talking to anyone Um, so, sorry. (laughs) So, you know, I, I look at my mom, and I look at my dad, and I look at my brother, and I look at my boyfriend, and then it sort of hit me that my mom would look at me, and she would talk to me, but she couldn't look at my dad. And my dad would look at me, but then he would look away because he didn't know what he was supposed to do or how he was supposed to behave. And my brother is 12, so he's talking to everybody and thinks everything's fine. And my boyfriend is, you know, trying to impress his girlfriend's parents because we are in love. And I just kind of realize I mean, it's that total aha moment where you look at your parents and you realize they're going to get divorced, and soon. And here I was, this narcissistic 15, almost 16-year-old who is convinced that everything is around me. The sun rises and sets on my ass, don't you know? My parents birthed me for a reason, and it was so they could have something to worship. That's what every 16-year-old kid thinks. My parents split up a week later. Thanks. Leah Charney. You can check out her blog at baconedandotherbadhabits.com. All right, our next storyteller is another writer. He's written a novel. It's forthcoming. He's also a high school teacher. And... Was and and he told me that he took a dump with Al Sharpton, which is an amazing factoid. So I don't think he's going to be sharing that story. 
Next time. I, I, I told him we were going to make like a special themed show of just like taking dumps with celebrities. And we'll invite you back. Uh, yeah, mo- movement. Yes. No, oh, moving. Yes, moving. Yes. Totally moving. Rob Bowman. <laughs> Hello. I'm, uh, I haven't been here before. This is terrific, but I didn't realize everyone memorizes it, so I'm going to be the asshole reading it because I'm that jerk. So I'll try not to, but then I'll get lost. And, uh, it's going to be awkward. Um, so this theme didn't do me any favors at all. I was glad to be asked, but in my family, everyone tells the stories at the dinner table. Nothing really happens at the dinner table. Um, but... It was at a dinner table that I met my wife's grandmother, Situ. So this is less a cohesive story than kind of a quick character study of this woman. Situ, I'm told, is Lebanese for grandmother, and no one calls her anything else, but her name's actually Genevieve. The first thing I remember learning about her was seeing a picture of her that my wife had. Mindy and I were uh, dating, and she was about to move in with me, so she was having a garage sale to sell off all of her stuff. And as a joke, she put out a large photo of Situ for sale for 75 cents at the garage sale. I immediately bought it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a photo of a plump, grinning woman with gapped teeth and a Hawaiian shirt with a hairdo like a cartoon clown wig that's gone cotton white. She has on enormous glasses. And she's leaning on to something that I can only describe as looking like one of King Kong's balls. <laughs> and she looks like this. It is the greatest picture ever, bar none. I was teaching high school at the time, and I immediately put it on the wall of my classroom right behind my desk. (laughs) Students kept asking me why I had a picture of my grandmother. Oh, I see the confusion. No, that's, that's not my grandmother. But so who is she? I don't know. I've never met her. I bought it at a garage sale. Now, this was true, though I admit misleading. Incidentally, I did find it. Price tag, 75 cents. Now, my students found this usually kind of mystifying and stupid, but that was usually their reaction in my room. Now, I had heard bits and pieces about her. She was born in Lebanon. I don't know what her family was like at all. I do know that immediately after World War II, she was just entering her teen years, like 13 years old. And that was when her family sold her to a stranger across the ocean in New York. Sweet, young, naive Genevieve was sent around the world to a man she didn't know who was both her owner and her husband. The horrors of that, what that must have been like for a 13-year-old girl, I can't begin to fathom. He was older. I'm not sure how old. Somewhere in his 40s, I want to say, but that could be untrue. He took his child bride to the marriage bed. And she immediately gave him five children, one after another. Bang, 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 bang. And in this time, she grew to love him and to depend on him. Life became normal, whatever this was. And she developed a thick Brooklyn accent and lost her Lebanese one. They moved to Detroit, where there was and still is a thriving Lebanese population, whereupon her husband promptly died. There she was, a woman more or less alone with five children, no prospects who'd yet to enter her 20s. She worked where she could, and they all struggled to eat, to stay warm in those terrible Michigan winters. They gave each other homemade gifts when gifts were given. Their clothes were mended and handed down and tattered. Now, it's this amazing, like, 
bootstraps American immigrant Horatio Alger story that's like, yeah, like you just want to cheer and like the full story will bring tears to your eyes and make you weep and Oprah would immediately make a terrible movie about it. <laughs> but here's the thing. I didn't know her during any of that shit. I just had an 8 by 10 photograph of an old woman leaning on a giant testicle. <laughs> so I don't know where the change came or when it happened. All right? Somewhere in there, she became a real estate agent with no qualms whatsoever to do anything it takes to make the sale. Really crooked stuff. <laughs> she had her face stamped on a pencil that she, would, that she would give out. I have one of these pencils. It's among my prized possessions. I'll never give it up. I won't even sharpen it because I just want it to stay perfect. In her mid-50s, she went to clown college. Let's just make sure we all heard that correctly. <laughs> She went to clown college, and she was, by all accounts, a terrible clown. But she was enthusiastic, so that's something. Immediately after clown college graduation, which I imagine involves a lot of, like, uh, buzzer handshakes and, like, a squaring flower and, like, the valedictorian gets a pie in the face. Anyway, immediately after, they arranged a show for all the new graduates, kind of this massive thing with all the clowns. Now, at the end of the show that I would have killed to have seen, the clowns all line up, and they whisper something one to another, telephone style, and they all begin weeping at this news. Now, it sounds to me like a bad idea to mime crying to a room full of children, but that's what they did. The idea is that they're sad because the show is at an end, and they're sad they don't want to leave the kids. It's the big idea. So they each have their own kind of brand of histrionics, painted smiles suddenly frowning, they're, you know, pulling out handkerchiefs, this and that. Situ, in a moment of improvisation, decided that her penultimate show of grief would be to wipe her eyes with the corner of her shirt and promptly flashed all of the children <laughs> by pulling her shirt up over her face. This is by far the funniest thing I have ever imagined. A few quick things, just some facts to kind of finish putting in the color on this painting. She's the president of a club of old women that is devoted to wearing hats. She rules this club with an iron fist, like Mussolini if he was an old woman. It's a club about wearing hats. She's very strict about it. If one is with her in public and she doesn't know where you are, she will scream your name until you appear. She frequents glamour shots. These are the most amazing accidental works of arts you will ever see, and you will never unsee them. She has no modesty at all. She will call you into the room for something, forgetting that she's nude, and then say, oopsies. She ends every phone call with a monologue and then a blessing, and then she hangs up. And the blessing is, goodbye, I love you, God bless you, I hope the weather's nice. Every blessing from here on in should end with, I hope the weather's nice. <laughs> she was recently carjacked of her shitty minivan, which the robber immediately dumped when he realized just how shitty it was. Her rarely worn fake teeth were under the seat. Luckily, the, the robber had left those as well. I don't know what the black market is for lightly used artificial teeth. My assumption, not very good. She makes do with whatever she has in the house for a recipe, ignoring the actual ingredients for anything that just looks similar. This makes for surprising and terrible results. <laughs> Situ admitted later that her teeth had not actually been in the minivan. She'd left them in a Denny's and figured they should be part of the police report. 
just for the insurance. What is the insurance value for lightly used artificial teeth? My assumption, not very much. She demands that others come and pluck her whiskers for her, which they won't, so she stays bearded. For gifts, Situ gives everyone what she calls Situ bags. They're grocery bags with anything she happens to have around and no longer wants. <laughs> Items in Situ bags can include an opened box of cereal, a roll of toilet paper, expired boxes of mac and cheese, some fresh steak quarters she's now wrapped into plastic, and some Situ pencils. If not immediately complimented on the gift, she demands that you give it back to her. Now, I finally met her two Christmases ago. I was heading out to meet Mindy's family to ask for permission to, from her father to propose. It was a pretty stressful time for me. Her family's great. They're awesome. But I was being careful to make as good an impression as possible so that I could get the approval. The blessing was given on short notice with a, yeah, all right, from Mindy's father, and I waited for the right time to spring the question. On Christmas Eve, the whole gang got together. It's a band of misfits. They're great shouting and laughing, and no one listens to anyone else. They tease and mock each other mercifully, but I'll take the insults as compliments, because any publicity is good publicity. And then, well, there Situ was. Here she is. I recognized her, of course. She had no idea who I was. It was kind of like meeting a celebrity. You feel like you're pals, because you've read the gossip rags, but they just want you to go away. Except Situ wants the company, because everyone in her family is actively avoiding her. She has an unnerving habit of belching with her lips sealed and then blowing a concentrated burst of bile and whatever she's last eaten at anyone who happens to be in her crosshairs. Kind of like a... <sighs> That's how you do it. She screams and shouts and demands tiny, unreasonable things from others. Uh, she sat there, resplendent, smiling her incredibly gappy smile. It seemed far gappier than it had in the past. Mindy shot her a look and then looked at her mother. Mom. What's the deal with Situ's teeth? They look terrible. What? I don't know. How so? They're missing. And the ones that, there are, that are there are all rotten. Mindy's mom shouted to her mother, Ma, what's with your teeth? Where's your tooth? <laughs> Slowly, more of the family began to listen in, leaning in. Huh? She began to root around with her tongue. I just did that to a room of strangers. <laughs> ha! I guess it fell out. Mindy's brother, Job, shouted his way into the conversation. Your tooth just fell out? And you didn't notice? It must have gone into the dip. She pointed at the hummus. The first time I've ever heard someone refer to hummus as dip. I looked at the hummus on my plate and immediately set it down. Now, this hubbub, this hubbub died down remarkably fast. Everyone kind of shrugged as if to say, well, of course. I was sat next to her at dinner. In between blowing her burps at me, she loudly congratulated me on having proposed, which I embarrassingly had to admit I hadn't actually done yet. I did the next day, better late than never, I suppose. Now, the thing is, while that's where I met her, the thing with these true stories is they don't have arc, right? They don't have character development. They don't have uh, denouement, and they definitely don't have resolution, none of that stuff. But in hindsight, 
there's always themes, right? And there's parallels that develop. But that's about it. You know, the end of every story is death, but maybe not even then. So the night I met Mindy, my now wife, she asked me to come to a party at her house. I was thrilled. I went crazy. I couldn't believe it. So I, I go home. I'm getting ready. And my mom calls me to tell me that my grandmother's died. It was a long time coming. We all kind of hoped for it in a way. But I missed her anyway. I was crushed. I told Mindy I couldn't come and gave her the oddest excuse ever to cancel on a date. Now, I didn't miss my grandma from when she was sick, but I missed her from when she was still herself. Now, her husband, my grandfather, he's still around, but he's adrift in an ocean of senility. He hasn't recognized me in years. He pretends to know who I am, but clearly doesn't actually know. He has no idea who my wife is. Whenever he sees her, he's clearly alarmed that there's a stranger in the house. Now, when he sees my new son, he hardly seems to register what a baby even is. He has no clue. Now, we brought my son out to meet my wife's family, and I'm in good now. Situ, she bosses me around like I've been around forever. She blows the burps at me. I'm in. (laughs) I've eaten a bite of her mystery foods, and I've thrown the rest of it away. I've received Situ bag gifts. The one at my wedding was amazing. Uh, I don't know how many people still eat kicks, but I have half a box to show for it. <laughs> she knows who my son is, but she clearly has no idea what to do with him, which is odd for a woman who had five babies. I came into the kitchen and saw her holding my son by one arm and one leg, just looking around, frantic, pleading for a solution to this weird thing. He just kind of gurgled in confusion and a sort of like bemusement, like, I don't know what she's doing, Dad. I got no clue. She tried to get him to suck on his pacifier to quiet him down, but kept jamming the handle in his mouth, like, take it! Why won't you? And she was holding the, the nipple on it. She didn't know what to do. So, but the thing is that I'm glad he has this in his life, this lunatic, who she clearly is. This woman singing him these Lebanese songs that I'll never understand. Uh, This connection to these other worlds. And I'm glad that I have her too. So goodbye. I love you. God bless you. I hope the weather's nice. Rob Bowman. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl. Or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to the narratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.